Keep talking. There we go. I heard myself that time. Well, good morning, everybody. I don't know what to do without my stand. So uh, back when I was like a youth pastor, I could speak anywhere. But now I feel like I have to have one of these to hide behind. Uh, it is good to see you uh, this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, with me once again to 1 Corinthians uh, 15. 1 Corinthians uh, 15 this morning uh, is where we will uh, finish up. Uh, and as you're flipping there, uh, a couple of announcements. I want to echo uh, Ryan's announcements. Uh, uh, last Wednesday, we kicked off our new kids ministry Bible study on Wednesday nights. Uh, we had a great turnout, and we we're excited about the Lord's direction. They're really just starting fresh and starting new, build, being able to build what we want. Uh, and what became very evident to me this past Wednesday uh, is uh, we need more help. Uh, and so Carrie was like a one woman, not saying that she didn't do a great job. She did an incredible job. But she was a one woman show this past uh, Wednesday. I think we had 19 kids uh, show up this past uh, Wednesday. Uh, and so we're, that's a great start for us. And, uh, but we're excited being able to build this ministry. And so we need two things. We need ideas about how we want to kind of develop this ministry. And so if you're interested, if you have any questions about what we're doing and uh, ways that you could potentially serve, uh, please do not hesitate to come talk to Carrie. Carrie, again, do your hand. Uh, that's Carrie. Uh, come talk to Carrie after service, or I can answer as many questions as I can. If not, I can direct you to Carrie. Uh, anyway, so that, that started last Wednesday. Uh, Ryan made mention that uh, this sun, this morning we started our Sunday morning uh, Bible study. Uh, so if you're not if you're not a part of a small group or if you're looking for more Bible study, I don't even get enough of that. Uh, this is a great group for you to be a part of. Uh, it's the way they're walking through First Timothy uh, and say, suggesting so I missed. Uh, the first class, that's okay. You can join them up with them next week. And Josh actually has some material for you, uh, some background information, uh, purpose things of the letter, uh, also kind of a breakdown of what the class is going to look like. So uh, if you're interested in that uh, and you haven't signed up, you haven't been part, that's okay. Just see uh, me or Josh after service. We can get you kind of brought up to speed uh, to make plans. And I know Ryan mentioned also our reading plans. I uh, hope you don't get tired of me reminding you of those. They're out in the foyer if you haven't jumped in and started those. They're also on our website. And you could probably answer this question. The best day to start reading your Bible is today. And so if you haven't started the reading plan, the best day to, to start is, is today. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, last week, we started answering the question, uh, why a gospel-centered church or a gospel-driven uh, church? Two weeks ago, uh, we, I began to kind of lay out some, a, really a new thought process or a refocusing uh, of where we, who we are as a church and kind of where we're headed. Uh, and it's not real flashy, it's not real you know, clever and things like that, but it's, it's the gospel centrality, to be gospel driven and all that we do. So we began asking the question for me as a pastor is, you know, will the gospel preach every Sunday as in, will it, can I come up here on Sundays every Sunday and preach the gospel? And will it, will it, will it do its job? Is, will it preach every Sunday or do I need to come up with something new? And so last week, uh, we began talking about four characteristics of a gospel-driven church. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what we read. Verse 1, it says, Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Pray with me. Father, we, we love you. Yeah, we, we thank you for your word uh, that you have so uh, richly blessed us with uh, in, in, in inspiring men to write it, and you have kept it through the ages. God, your word is alive. It, it abides forever. So God, I pray as we open these, open your scriptures, as we look at your, your words, God, that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe. God, as we talk about the gospel and gospel centrality, God, I pray that today that you, you make new for us the, the depths and the beauty of your great good news. God, we repent of any apathy or or any laziness towards the gospel. God, we repent of the, the normalcy that we walk, we, cut, we approach your gospel with. God, I pray that today you, you just you renew the joy of salvation for us as we talk about your good news. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So the first characteristic that we looked at last week was that a, a gospel-driven gospel driven churches are constantly reminding. Did you notice here in chapter 15 that, that Paul says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel. Here's what's crazy about that. Paul just spent 14 chapters. He's not writing in chapters. He's writing in a letter, but he just spent what what we read, 14 chapters talking about church structure, talking about the worship service, talking about issues that they had, issues that may arise within the church, and they're, getting, and they're gathering together. He began talking about all these things about church life and church structure, and all of a sudden he just pumps the brakes and says, now brothers, I would remind you of the gospel. Now I would remind you of the gospel, the gospel that I, that I preached to you, that, that you received, and, and, and in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. And so what we talked about last week is that a gospel-driven church is, they're constantly reminding, you know why? Because we're constantly forgetting. We're constantly forgetting about the gospel and its implications. We, we're constantly uh, forgetting and losing track of or, or not focusing on the gospel and its implications and, and the good news. And so Paul says, hey, I want to remind you, brothers, of this gospel that I preached, this, this good news that I gave to you. I want to remind you right here, 15 chapters in, that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose again. He wanted to remind them because we talked about this last week because we need reminding because you and I do not wake up in gospel mode every day and little did I know that that God was going to remind me of that this week and we talked about last week how I think about how your day starts or my day starts most of the time when our days start it starts with what's going on in my day today we wake up not necessarily thinking about how can I serve others? How can I love the least of these? How can I, how can I spread or, or be obedient to the Great Commission? Uh, how can I, you know, give, we usually when we wake up, it's what's going on with my day? Uh, and our day consists of, usually, most of our days consist of uh, everybody else infringing upon my day. Uh, whether we're in the drive to drive to work or drive to school, everybody's going too fast or too slow. Uh, the McDonald's drive-through line, the you know the the lie from the pits of hell with the double line or the express lane in the grocery store. All these things that they're just all lies, really. What you think about, but what it is is it's causing inconvenience for me. 
Uh, and so this week, and this is just me being this confession to you, I confess to you a lot about I'm not the perfect parent at all, but uh, Friday morning, I had plans. Uh, so I, I, I paint on the side. I felt like I have to be more like Jesus to do some carpentry work too. I preach. And I, anyway, so anyway, I paint on the side. So I had plans to paint on Friday. I wake, I wake up, I get the girls uh, ready. I take the girls to school every day. Uh, I get, I get Evie dressed and I go to get, pick up Emma and she is burning up. Uh, and so I check her temp and it's like 102.5. And I'm thinking, I was going to paint today. Don't judge me. You know you've been there before. You know your kid's sickness is oftentimes an inconvenience for you. Uh, and so, you know, 102.5, well, you know, no big deal. Uh, and so anyway, so I'm like, I'll just keep her home, whatever. Anyway, it jumps up to 104, take it to the doctor. Uh, it's viral. She has hand, foot, mouth. So don't touch me today. I may be carrying something. I'm just kidding. But anyway, so... This whole weekend, we had plans and things like that, but instead, we've been staying up all night with, and over and over again, guys reminding me, hey, you need to be reminded of the gospel. It's not, this, is, this isn't your day. This is the day of the Lord's, but it's his day. Uh, and so even, even in that, it's, I was, and, and, and so I thought about that, you know, with that. And so we need to be reminded for the sake, because we don't wake up in gospel mode every day, even when it comes to loving our kids, Right? We need to be reminded of the gospel when it comes to just everyday life, because here is the, the tension that we all face. I wake up and my day consists of people infringing upon my day. Well, guess what? Everybody else thinks it's their day as well. And so all of our lives are usually constant, you're in my way, that kind of deal. So we need to be reminded that of the gospel. Or when we spend too much time on social media and we look at uh, different articles and we read different news outlets and we begin to be consumed with worry and doubt and fear and we begin to operate out of caution and, and just dark places, if you will. We need to remind, hey, Jesus died and he, he rose and he, he, he was buried and he rose, that Jesus is victorious, that he has defeated death. Then I thought of another one this week. Another reason why we need to be reminded of the gospel, and I really need you to hear me when I say this, is because we have a great accuser. One reason why we need, to be, we need a constant diet of the gospel is because as a child of God, you have an accuser. His name is Satan. Our enemy is a great accuser. In Revelation chapter 12, this is what, when, when John writes, this he says and i heard this is revelation 12 10 i heard a loud voice in heaven saying now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our god and authority of his christ have come for the accuser this is being the evil one this is satan uh, the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down he who accuses them day and night before god here's the reality i'm and i i don't want to I know how it is to be a human. I know how it is to have mistakes. And I know how it is to have that accuser who is constantly reminding you of what you once were. And let me give you an example. Have you ever, maybe, I don't know, maybe you've all been angels your whole life. Uh, maybe you don't have any deep, dark secrets and past and things like that. But have you ever, like, driven past a place and there's a memory of that place and going, man, I can't believe that. 
Or you get with a group of people, and, and here I am. This is real talk for me. Uh, here I am as a pastor, and I get with groups of people maybe that I grew up with who, who knew that Justin before he was a believer and a follower. And many times the accuser is saying to me, they know you. You can't, you can't hide from them. And the reality is I know that's not just me. I know for every single one of us, we have a great accuser who reminds us of who we used to be and the mistakes that we've made and things like that. And you need to be reminded. I want to remind you of the gospel. Yes, you have an accuser, but listen to me. You have an even greater advocate. You have an even greater high priest that stands in him. Because listen to me. Yes, Jesus died for your sin. When the the enemy is accusing, I want to remind you that Jesus died for your sin. That he was buried and that he rose again. But the story doesn't end there. He rose again and then eventually he ascended and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And now he is our defender. He is the defender of the lowly. He's the advocate. John writes in 1 John 2, my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. An advocate is someone, is a person who pleads for another's cause, who speaks a right to support of something. Yes, we have an accuser each and every day. We have an enemy who wants to remind us and, and bring us down. But listen to me, child of God, I want to remind you of the gospel that Jesus died. And when he died, he died for your sin. And he was buried and he raised on the third day. And now he's at the right hand of the father. And he is, he is pleading to the father on your behalf because of this great gospel. Why do I need to be reminded of the gospel? Because some days I can't get over my past sins. I can't get over the life that I used to live. I'm constantly reminded of those things. And maybe that's just me. But for somebody in here this morning, I needed to tell you that your advocate is greater than your accuser. Your advocate is greater, and his word is more powerful than your accuser. Why do I need to be reminded of the gospel? Because I need to be reminded that, yes, that old Justin, that is who he was. But because of the gospel, there's a new Justin now. That Justin died with Christ. He is no longer here. He has risen to a newness of life, and that's because of the gospel. The second thing, I meant to go fast through that. I'm sorry. Uh, that, was, that was recap. Uh, then we also talked last week, the second characteristic, characteristic of a gospel-driven church is that they're constantly reprioritizing, reprioritizing. Look at verse 3, where Paul says, I deliver to you as a first importance what I also received. When he says of first importance, he's not just talking about in sequence, but I think he's talking about in centrality and, and of, of, of utmost greatest importance, the greatest thing that you and I can talk about and share about is that Christ died for sins, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead. Why do I think this is of first importance? Because look at the expansiveness of it in verses one and two. He says, this gospel I preach to you. You received it. And so here, this is a past tense thing. He said, you received this gospel. It's a past tense. It's you believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he raised again in accordance with scriptures. And he says, and now you stand. I need to, we need to be reminded of the gospel because we need to be reminded that my stance in, before God is not in my own. 
He said, you, you received in what you stand, in what you are being saved. And what we talk about in reprioritizing is that we want to keep the gospel where it is supposed to be because ultimately we don't outgrow the gospel. Look at the expansiveness of it in verses 1 and 2. You received it, past tense. Right now you're standing in it, it's present tense. And by which you're being saved, it's, it's future tense as well. That it's the, it encompasses the whole life of the believer. Look at first, in 1 Corinthians 15, just dump down a few verses. Verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. But his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. No, it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Rather than it was I or they, so we preached the new Believe, listen to me, what we understand, the reason why we need gospel-driven churches and be gospel centrality, because it is the gospel of grace that is effectual and it leads us towards holiness and following after Christ. Now this morning, number three, we didn't get to these last week, number three, the third characteristic of a gospel-driven church is that gospel-driven churches are constantly repenting. They're constantly repenting. Say, Justin, you've been talking about repentance a lot lately. I do not apologize. Uh, A a gospel-driven church is constantly repenting. Two weeks ago, when we began to lay out these ideas, uh, I mentioned the five metrics of grace uh, that the book that we're reading as a staff, the gospel-driven church, uh, that uh, Jared Wilson kind of gives a synopsis of, of a Jonathan Edwards book, uh, and I actually had somebody who listened uh, to that sermon and texted me. He's a pastor at another church and said, Jonathan Edwards isn't that hard to read. But anyway, if you ever try to read, read Jonathan Edwards, he's pretty tough, and so I'm thankful for Jared Wilson and, and kind of breaking that down into Justin's terms that he can understand. But here are five characteristics, five metrics of grace that we looked at two weeks ago. And here's where, how, how, can, we, how can we measure church health? How can we measure the, mature, or the, the, the health of our church? And here's five things, and I think they're going to come up. Is Number one is that, is there a growing esteem for Jesus? Look at them bugs flying around. Anyway, is there a growing esteem for Jesus? Now that's all you're going to concentrate on. Uh, number two, is there a discernible spirit of repentance? Yeah, it's evident that God is moving and growing a church whenever the, the, their esteem for Jesus is rising, whenever Jesus is being elevated in honor. Uh, the, the second one, a discernible spirit of repentance. The third one, a dog revo- devotion to the word of God. Four, an interest in doctrine and theology. Number five, an evident love for God and neighbors. So you look at those and they seem, man, those seem very subjective, if you will. Um, but here's what that, those mean in a nutshell. These are the, me- what we're asking the question and measuring our church's health and what metrics with a lens of grace have us look at in our church to go deeper than simply counting how many people are here or how many dollars that are given. And by the way, I do want to say this. Last year in 2020, you knocked it out of the park on giving. I want to kudos to you for that. Uh, and so I just want to, I don't want to be just a Debbie Downer. We also need a pat on the back like we had one of the best giving years that we've had since I've been here. Well, I know that we actually took money over into the next year, which was crazy to think about. And so, uh, and, and it's exciting. And so I just want to, I don't want to just be a, Debbie down, I don't say, hey, thank that's for that. But is there is there more, is there healthier ways for us to to measure growth? Um, and here's why I think that these metrics are important. 
Uh, it requires deep measurements to a place that only grace can take us. And getting healthy these ways requires us being empowered the only way that grace can empower us. And applying these marks requires a courageous self-evaluation to which only grace can secure us. And so two weeks ago, we kind of talked through those metrics. And so if you missed that, if I'm, if I'm leaving you somewhere behind right now, just go back to that sermon we talk about those. But I want to talk about that one, that there's a discernible spirit of repentance. We talked about that two weeks ago. Now, I understand that's difficult to measure, but let's think about this for a moment. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus or not, what's the central problem we have as humans? Is it a lack of self-esteem or a lack of self-fulfillment or my, my desires haven't been met? The reality is, no, that's not our, our greatest issue. That's not our greatest problem. Therefore, our solution cannot be a program of self-help or self-actualization. Our central problem is that we have rebelled against the Holy God since. And what does that prompt us to do? When we think about sin, it prompts us to repent. That God's, by God's good grace and God's good gospel, we understand that Christ died for our sins. So what we need on Sunday mornings is not four steps to applying Christianity every week. What we need is the gospel and understand the gospel is big enough and it's strong enough to hold. It is big enough to save the lost. And listen to me, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, it's also big enough to grow the saved. That is comprehensive enough to, to save the one who doesn't know Jesus, but it's also big enough to grow the saved. That's the beauty of gospel centrality. Listen to me, child of God. Listen to me, church. When someone lost comes in our door and we're, we're preaching the gospel, they're hearing the message that which they can be saved. But when you, a found man, a found woman comes in to these doors and they hear the gospel being preached and we're hearing the message by which we can be sanctified. We need a new heart. The law cannot give it to us. It can only expose it. But man, we need to be reminded that grace gives us a new heart. A church that is dominated by grace and gospel-centered is a place that it creates a light that people can bring forth their sin. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere, I promise. I said this a couple weeks ago. Whenever the gospel is being preached and the love of the Father is being held up high, this place becomes a safe place for the sinner but also it becomes an unsafe place for sin. Man, how many times, how many people do you know, how many, or even in your own life, you grew up in a church, but when it came to your sin on Sunday mornings, you didn't know what to do with it. You felt like you had to leave it at the door. You felt like, you felt like I, just, I can't walk in there because people know that I'm sinful. How crazy would it be if we could be so gospel-centered that people who I, that have sin in my life, understand that cross points the place that I can go because there I can hear the message of forgiveness. I can, it could be a safe place for any sinner to be, but listen to me, it's the most unsafe safe place for sin to be. It's through the gospel we want to say, hey, yes, Christ died for your sins. Sin isn't to be a safe place to hide out. Oh, but it's a great place for the sinner to be. We don't need to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We need to repent and believe the gospel. 
when the gospel is truly preached and understood, what we come to realize is that this is the safest place in the world to deal with our sins. Man, I'm, I'm tired of a church that feels like, and I'm not saying this is just church as a whole, I'm tired of churches feeling like places that broken people can't be at. Hey, when we become gospel driven, what we come to understand is that this is the place that, that the gospel tells us that, that we have a heavenly father who delights in forgiving. And I want to be a place that anybody can come and, and even you as a child of God, I want to ask you this question. Do you know the gospel well enough to bring your sin to your father this morning? Do you know his heart well enough to know that he will receive you? It's important for us to be gospel-centered at all times because I never want us to get to a point that we get to a place that I have to be a certain way in order to be a part of God's people. I have to live as I have to be perfect. And if I have sin, I have to hide it. No, this has always got to be a place that we can bring our sin to the very feet of God and say, God, I have broken and I messed up. We don't have to put on the makeup if you We can come broken. 1 John 1, 8 says, if we, can, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. For if, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Listen to me this morning. The accuser, child of God, wants you to stay guilty in covering up your sin. Oh, but the gospel says, come back to the Father. Man, I want to be gospel centered. There's a need for gospel centrality because I don't want us to be a place where this is just a bunch of pharisaical living, but a place that we understand that. Yes, we're sinners, yet we want to come to the only place, the only person who who can forgive us. That's why I'm being gospel-driven, because the the lost man, when the gospel's preached, hears, come. But when the gospel's preached, the found man hears, come back. Number four, and we'll wrap up with this one. Gospel-driven churches are constantly reforming. They're constantly reforming. No one naturally drifts towards the gospel. It makes too little of us and too much of God. In 1517, when Martin Luther unintentionally began the Protestant Reformation, he nailed his 95 theses up to the wall. And what he's nailing there is, I'm going to rediscover, I'm going to commit to the gospel. And for us as the church, we have to nail our own, 90, or our own thesis up, as Paul says in verse 2 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, that it, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, that we will nail down and say, we will hold fast to this gospel. It's easy to move on from the gospel. It's tempting to chase shiny things. It's attractive to chase after the next new thing. On March 11th, 2011, At 2.46 p.m., a 9.1 magnitude earthquake took place 230 miles northeast of Japan. You may be familiar with the tsunami that happened in 2011. The earthquake caused a tsunami with 30-foot waves that reached uh, some places they got as high as 127 feet tall. 
By the time they hit land, they caused crazy havoc among the coast of Japan. Nearly 16,000 people lost their lives in the tsunami, and almost, there's still almost 2,600 that they had never found. The tsunami flooded over 200 square miles of land. Some places had water spread up to three miles inland. It destroyed towns and cities and that had been built near the beaches. In April of that year, of April 2011, so a month after the tsunami, New York Times put out an article entitled, Tsunami Warnings Written in Stone. And this is what the article began to talk about. In the village of Aniyoshi, Japan, there was a stone tablet that stood on the hillside of their village. It had been placed there long before they had lived their, uh, lived their lives, but it had been placed there by their ancestors who lived there before them. On this tablet was written, do not build your homes below this point. Residents of this village said that this tablet placed by their ancestors kept their tiny village of 11 households safely out of reach of the deadly tsunami that wiped out hundreds of miles of coast. The waves stopped just 300 feet below the storm. One of the village leaders said of their, their ancestors, they knew the horrors of tsunamis, so they erected the stone to warn us. There are hundreds of these stones along the coastline of Japan, but modern Japan, being confident that advanced technology and higher seawalls would protect these vulnerable areas they, areas, they forgot and ignored these ancient writings on these ancient stones, and they doomed themselves to repeat bitter, the bitter experiences of tsunamis. Said one historian of natural disasters, the tsunami stones were our warnings across generations telling the descendants to avoid the same suffering of their ancestors. Some heeded the lessons while others did not. Some stones say things like high dwellings ensure the peace and happiness of our descendants. The leader of this village says that the inscriptions are a rule from our ancestors which no one should break. And here's what's even crazier. This tiny village of 11 households, the highest waves of tsunamis hit towards that village at 127 feet tall. Yet not one house was destroyed. And here's what got me with this article. The uh, Antiochus tsunami stone is the only one who, only stone specifically tells them where to build their house. And when I came across that article, I went, man, we have those who have gone before us who have placed stones in the ground that says, do not build your house past this point. Do not trust in modern technologies. Do not trust in the next flashy thing. Build your house upon this rock. And for me, as I, as I look to this gospel centrality, man, I want, to, I want to nail our own theses up and say, hey, we do not build past this point. What the gospel says is, well, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel this morning. There were men and women who gave their lives for the, for the simplicity the beauty and the power of the gospel and the gospel alone. It doesn't need our help and our makeup. 
It just needs to be preached. It just needs to be celebrated. It just needs to be shared. So we're constantly reforming to make sure that the gospel is where it's supposed to be. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What he's saying is that for the rest of my life, I'm trying to hold on to that which has already taken a hold of me. So this morning, I know I had to do a lot of talking to catch up to where we were, but this is the, this is the, the why we, we want to be a gospel-driven church because we want to make sure the gospel, the only thing that can change a life is what's winning people. And listen to me, it's going to preach every Sunday because the same message that the lost person hears to receive is the same message that the saved person hears to be sanctified. That doesn't mean I'm not going to preach in different places. That doesn't mean that every Sunday I'm going to talk out of 1 Corinthians 15. But I want to, what I want to do every Sunday is I want to, to remind us of the gospel because by it, by it, God is most glorified. Where is Jesus most glorified? Sin is gospel. So therefore, we as a church, that's where we're going to operate. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin to, to look at how the gospel uh, instructs our Sunday mornings. And, and this is just real talk for a moment, but I hope that's okay. And I promise I'm about to be done. It's not even 11 yet, so don't, don't be mad at me. There's a t- clock back there. I don't always watch that. But <clears throat> what happens is, is that a lot of times when it comes to kind of who we, where we are as a church and really taking a self-examination, what I'm fearful of is that in a lot of places here at, at Crosspoint, I'll speak directly at Crosspoint, in a lot of years we've become in many places, what we left. And so just that makes no sense to me. Uh, Crosspoint, uh, one time when we planted, we, we were planted by a group of families who majority of them are still members here at Crosspoint. Uh, and we, and they, there were some things that, you know, God had led them to start a church, but there were some things that they wanted to change and some directions they wanted to go. And, and now 20 years later, a lot of times we, as a church, we look and smell just like, Another church, we just play louder music in some places. And so what I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks is how does the, like Sunday mornings, what is Sunday morning for? Who is Sunday morning for? Who's the audience of Sunday mornings? Who's the censor subject? And, I'll, and that'll make more sense as we get there. And how does, the, how does the gospel inform our worship services? Then we're going to talk about how does the gospel form our, our ministries, our programs, and our small groups, and our community. So I do pray that you plan to join with us over the next few weeks as we lay out these things. Cool? But right now I want to ask you, will you begin to pray for us as a church? As, uh, we talked about this a lot lately, but I just want to ask you, will you commit to praying uh, for God to move, for God to be uh, those five metrics that God will create in us a growing esteem for Christ. 
that, that, that when the gospel is being preached and as God's working in our life, that there will be a discernible spirit of repentance. This won't be a place that we, that we just put makeup on a pig, but we, 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 we treat seriously our sin. With this, we pray that we will, that we'll fall more in love with God's word, that God would give us a dog devotion to his word and that we'll, we'll begin to develop an interest in that doctrine of theology and that our love for God and love for our neighbor will begin to, will you begin to pray for God to do those things? Please listen to me. If that's the marks that we're going for as a church, they're impossible for us to get there on, on my good plans. Only God can bring us to those places. Only God can give you a greater love for God. Only God can give us a greater esteem for Christ. Only God can give us a greater love for his word and a greater love for our neighbor. Only God can give us a spirit of repentance. And listen to me, I desire from my own self to be, to be disgusted, even more disgusted with sin in my life. Will you join me in praying for that? Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you that your word reminds us of its truth, of its work. God, I thank you that it causes us even now to, it teaches us that, God, that you loved us before you called us. And God, you still love us now regardless of what's in our life. So God, I pray that this morning the, maybe the believer in here, they say, Justin, I, I know I'm a follower of Christ. God, for that person who has made a shipwreck of their faith. God, I pray that this morning God, they're reminded that you are a safe place to return to. God, I do pray for this church that as we continue to move forward, God, that you will give us a, a greater love for you, a higher esteem for Christ greater love for our neighbor. God, that you will do a work to use us for your glory and for your purposes. God, we desire to <clears throat> experience something that only you can make happen. God, we, we ask you, and I don't use this word, God, to send revival among your people. For us who maybe have been a believer a long time, God, that your, your spirit will, will move upon us as your church as a, as a mighty rushing wind. 
God, that we will return to our first love. That our desire to to know you, love you, enjoy you will greater, it will exceed anything else. God, I pray that you, you lead us to a place of dependence upon you. God, that we will desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done here on this earth. God, it will be done. But God, I want to be a part of you, you bringing it here in Jones County. That you would use our services, our ministries, God, I pray for just a breath of fresh air from your Holy Spirit to your people this morning. It's in Christ's name.